All right, well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, now as we come to this time of opening up your word, Lord, we pray that as we open your word, you would open our hearts and our minds to hear your word. Not only hear it, but Lord, to obey it. Lord, as we are looking at repentance this morning, I pray that you would reveal to us the true nature of repentance. But I am afraid that far too often we have a wrong idea about repentance. What true repentance is. So Lord, show us this morning. Show us this morning. So that as we come are confronted by our sin or that we would come to you in true repentance the Lord bless us today help us to worship with our minds this I pray in Christ's name amen if you have your Bibles with you this morning please turn with me to Psalm 51 Psalm 51 if you do not have a Bible with you, then you can turn to page 443 in the Pew Bible in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible, then we invite you to take that Pew Bible with you. That's our gift to you this morning. We want everyone to have a copy of God's Word. So please take that as a free gift from us to you. Uh, it's 443 in that Pew Bible. Psalm 51. As we continue in our study this summer in the Psalms, today we're looking at Psalm 51, and Psalm 51 is about repentance. It is about repentance. Psalm 51 is a psalm of a personal lament. We talked about last week that some of the psalms are lament psalms. Well, this is a psalm of personal lament, and it's a penitential Psalms, psalm. That is, it's a psalm of repentance. And as we look at Psalm 51, you notice the title there. Some of the psalms have titles, not all of them, but most of them have titles. This one does have a title. And look at the title there. It says, To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Many of us remember the story of David and Bathsheba and the context of this, but let me give you the context in case you do not know. Uh, remember the story of David and Bathsheba. David was the chosen king of God, and he had done many great things for God. But then at a time when most kings, Scripture says, goes off to war, and when David's army went off to war, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. And while he was stayed behind in Jerusalem, one day he was up on the top of his house there, up on his balcony, looking out over Jerusalem, and he saw a fair woman, and he wanted her. He looked upon Bathsheba, and he desired her. And so he sent for her and brought her into his house. The problem was that Bathsheba was married to one of David's mighty men, Uriah. Uriah was off at war. He was off at battle. And David coveted his wife, Bathsheba, and he brought her into his house. And he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And so God sends in Nathan the prophet to confront David with his sin. And we have recorded for us in 2 Samuel chapter, uh, chapter 12, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 9, the, the message that God sends in with Nathan to David. And let me just read it for you. You don't have to turn there, but let me read it for you. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of, the morsel, of his morsel and drink from his cup. 
and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So Nathan tells David this little parable, and notice David's response. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, this, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. You are the man. David, it is you. Thus says the Lord, God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little I would have added to you as much more why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight you have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites not only did David sin against Uriah by committing adultery with his wife, but then after the fact to cover up his adultery when Bathsheba got pregnant with David's child, then David sent Uriah out to battle. And he sent word to put Uriah out in front of the battle where it was at its, uh, its worst, where it was the, the most heated so that Uriah would die. And so David, the chosen king of Israel, sinned against God by committing adultery with Bathsheba and by having Uriah killed. And God confronts him with his sin. Now what does David do when he's confronted with his sin? Uh, does he, does he, he strike back at Nathan? What right do you have? I'm king! No, that's not what he did. Did he begin to make excuses for his sin? That's what many of us do. But you don't understand. You see, you see, it's not my fault. No. What does David do? David repents of his sin. He repents. He turns away from his sin. And he records his repentance for us in a song. Now, this is the heart of true repentance. Not only does he repent, but he records it as a song to be sung for worship. It's recorded for us to show us the characteristic, the nature of repentance. And what we learn in this psalm today is that true repentance is life-changing. True repentance is life-changing. It changes everything. It changes how we live. It changes how we act. It changes what we do. True repentance is life-changing. And today in this psalm, we will observe five characteristics of true repentance. Five characteristics of true repentance. And my hope and desire is for you to understand, get, leave here today with a better understanding of what repentance is because I honestly think we don't understand repentance. So often we don't understand repentance. We think repentance is simply saying, Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me. But that's not true repentance. So today we're going to see this five characteristics of true repentance. And if you have found your place there, please stand with me as we read this psalm.
Hear the word of the Lord. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I have brought forth I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away with your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with, the, with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem, then will you delight in the right in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings then bulls will be offered to on your altar amen may the lord add blessings to the reading of his holy inspired and inerrant word may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts and you may be seated So in this psalm, we see five characteristics of true repentance. Five characteristics of true repentance. And the first characteristic that we see here is that true repentance appeals to God's grace. True repentance appeals to God's grace. And notice those first couple of verses there, verses 1 and 2. Have mercy on me, O God. Now notice that first line, have mercy on me, O God. This verb that David uses here, have mercy, is a passive verb. David's asking God to to take action upon him. David here is recognizing that, that God has no obligation to forgive him in this instance. God has no obligation to forgive. You see, in our world today, we, we have this over-generalized uh, over, uh, sense or, or uh, uh, this large sense of, of, of entitlement. It just rages through our culture today. Especially here in America, we think we're entitled to everything. Right? We think we're supposed to have anything and everything. We think that, that so many people think that they're entitled to health insurance. We're entitled to an education. you got to give it to me. Whether I can afford it or not, whether I've got the the mind to do it or not, you've got to give it to me. We're entitled to anything and everything. We are raising up a new generation that's even more entitled than we are. They think they should want for nothing. They think they are entitled to prosperity. They think they're entitled to anything and everything. We as a population have a, a, an overgeneralized sense or a, a large sense of entitlement, a great sense of entitlement. 
And so many people, when it comes to God, they think that God is entitled or that you are entitled to God's forgiveness. We think that just because God is a God of love, that he has to forgive us. That he somehow owes us forgiveness. But I want you to know God doesn't owe us anything. He's our creator. He's given us his word. He says, this is how you shall live. And when we sin against God, God has no, no obligation to then say, when we come to say, I'm sorry, God, for breaking your law, God is under no obligation to say, I forgive you. God has every right to judge us and condemn us and and, and, and pour out his wrath upon us, punish us for our sin. That's what we have a right to, to be righteously judged by God. And David recognizes that. He understands that he has no right to God's forgiveness. He can't say, God, you have to forgive me. He says, oh, Lord, God, have mercy on me. See, he understands, too, that God is a merciful God. He is a loving God. He is just and righteous, but he is merciful and loving. He's not demanding, God, forgive me. He's, oh, God, have mercy. He appeals to the mercy and grace of a good and loving God. We need to understand that today. We need to understand that as we come to God for forgiveness, when we come as sinners before God, we have no right for God's forgiveness. But we appeal to his goodness. We appeal to his grace and his mercy. Oh God, forgive me. Just like David, have mercy on me, oh God, according to your steadfast love, according to your grace, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgression. Wash me. Oh dear friend, when you repent from your sin, the first step, the first characteristic is appealing to, not demanding, God forgive me, but appealing to God's grace. God, I'm coming to you because I know you're a gracious God, not because I'm worthy, not because I deserve it, but God, you are a gracious and merciful God. Wash me. Cleanse me. By your mercy. John Piper says in his book, Desiring God, it will change your life dramatically if you believe you deserve nothing but wrath and God gives nothing but mercy. Not many of us realize just how undeserving we are, yet how loved we are. We deserve nothing from God but his wrath and judgment for our sin and rebellion against him. But praise God, he is a loving and merciful God who is willing to forgive us and take away our sin. First characteristic of re true repentance is understanding you have no right to forgiveness yet you appeal to God's loving grace and mercy for forgiveness. Second, and this is a change in your outline, so I changed it this morning as I was just meditating on this, this again. Number two, the second characteristic of true repentance, true repentance regrets the sin. True repentance regrets the sin. Notice there in, in 3 through 6. For I know my transgression, 
and my sin is ever before me. You see, David confesses his sin before God. I know I've sinned, Lord. I admit it. I confess it to you. I have sinned. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgments. David confesses that his sin is mainly and majorly against God. Now, now God's not the only one offended by this sin, was he? Of course not. David had, had sinned against Bathsheba by using her as some kind of an object for his delight. He brought her in, he used her up, and he sent her out. Just like you would a, a hammer or some other object. He sinned against Bathsheba. And then he sinned against Uriah by defiling Uriah's wife. And then having Uriah killed in battle. But yet David understands that first and foremost his sin Though it was against Bathsheba, though it was against Uriah, it was first and foremost against the holiness of God. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Every offense that we make, every sin that we commit is an affront to the holiness of God. Now we admit, we understand that, that there are many kinds of sins that we commit. Some sin is very personal and private. Some sin takes place e even in the mind. Jesus says if you lust after a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery with her. He says if you're angry with someone in your heart, you've, you're guilty of murder. So there's sin that takes place in the heart, and, and, and we may not take action upon that sin, but even that sin is an affront to the holiness of God. God said, thou shalt not. Don't do that. Don't commit adultery. Don't lust. Don't covet another man's wife. God said, don't, don't uh, bear false witness. Don't lie. But yet even in our mind, we commit sin. Other sin is less personal, less, uh, it's against other people. So we go out and gossip. We say evil things about people. We swindle people. We lie to people. We do all kinds of bad things with people and to people. No matter what your sin, though, whether it be personal and private, or whether it be against someone, God says, you sinned against me. You offended my holiness. You trampled on my glory. So every sin that you commit, dear friend, whether you think in your heart, oh, well, this really doesn't hurt anyone. What does it matter if I'm sitting here on my computer looking at these images? It doesn't really hurt anyone. What does it matter if I, if I tell a little gossip here and there to my friends? What does it matter if I have these thoughts in my head, if I don't really act upon them? Whatever your sin is, it is an affront to the glory of God. You are offending your Creator. And He is, he is right to judge us for our sin so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgments. Our sin is against God. And our sin and our rebellion against Him is worthy of His judgment. We must confess our sin against God. And then we also confess our own sinfulness. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. We are helpless. We are helpless. We sin by our very nature. 
We sin by our very nature. We are born into sin. And our only hope is God. Behold, verse 6, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. The only hope that we have of not sinning is God's grace in our lives. So what we see here in this verse David is confessing his sin. He is admitting his sin to God. He is confessing, is confessing it before God. But we see here true repentance. You see, David is not just simply saying, Lord, I'm sorry, I messed up. Can you forgive me? David truly regrets his sin. Do you feel his emotion here? Do you feel his sorrow? For I know my transgressions, O Lord. My sin is ever before me. He hurts because of his sin. He's not delighting in his sin. Oh God, I please forgive me and forgive me now so I can go on about my life and I can sin some more. You see, that's what so many people do. That's what a lot of people do. They think, oh well, God's got to forgive me. The gospel says he has to forgive me, so Lord, forgive me so I can go do it again and come to you again and ask for forgiveness. And there's no regret, there's no sorrow. That's not true repentance. True repentance is not saying, I'm sorry, I messed up, but I'm going to go do it again tomorrow. Repentance, there's regret. David is on his face weeping before the Lord. Oh, Lord, God, I know my sin is ever before me. I have sinned against you. I'm destroyed because of my sin. You see, that's true repentance. Have you felt sorrow for your sin? Does your sin bother you? As long as we live, we're going to have sin. We, we must understand that. We're going to have those moments in our lives where we slip and we fail. But when you fail, does it hurt? Does it hurt? True repentance. In true repentance, sin hurts. It hurts to the bone. God, I can't believe I did that. I sinned. I messed up. Please, please forgive me. Sin regrets. Or true repentance regrets sin. There's contrition. There is remorse over that sin. We see another picture of this as Jesus hangs on the cross and one of the thieves there with him repents. Luke 23, 39 through 41 says, one of the criminals who were hanging railed at Jesus saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly. I deserve this. I deserve the penalty. I'm a sinner. I'm vile. I am ugly. I deserve God's judgment on my life. For we are receiving the due reward of our deed, but this man has done nothing wrong. This man repents. He's sorry for his sin. He's mourning over his sin. And looking to Jesus in grace, he says, Lord, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And what does Jesus say? Today you will be with me in paradise. He truly repented. He mourned over his sin. He looked to Jesus for his grace. 
And he found forgiveness and eternal life in Jesus. Through repentance, regret sin. It's not saying, I'm sorry that I got caught. It's not saying, I'm sorry that I didn't hide this well enough. There's true sorrow. There's true regret over our sin. True repentance appeals to God's grace, and it regrets the sin. Third, true repentance desires cleansing. True repentance desires cleansing. Notice verse 7 there. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Now this line here, David is appealing to another portion of the Old Testament. Back in Leviticus chapter 14. Leviticus chapter 14 gives instructions to the Israelites how to cleanse someone who has, been, who has suffered leprous disease. Now, if you remember your Bible lessons from of old, uh, leprosy was a, a disease that was considered unclean. And, and so people who had leprosy, they were not allowed to, to live within the congregation, within the, the people of Israel. They had to live outside of the camp, outside of the camp of the people of Israel. And only if they were healed from their leprosy was, were they then allowed back into the congregation of Israel. But then they had to be cleansed. Once they were healed from their leprosy, they had to be cleansed. And part of that process was to take hyssop, which is a, a bush, a plant, and they would bind it together. They'd bind some of those branches together. They would dip it in the blood of a sacrifice and they would sprinkle it upon the person, or if it was a garment, the garment, or the house, the house, or whatever. But they would take that hyssop, and they would sprinkle it on the person who had leprosy to cleanse them. So this was a ceremonial thing, but David is appealing to it. In his confession, in his repentance, he is saying, wash me with hyssop. He is comparing his sin to the disease of leprosy, which was a vile disease. It's a vile disease that, uh, that uh, deteriorates the skin, causes uh, gross uh, uh, infections to take place on the skin. And, and it causes you to have nerve damage so that you can't feel anymore. So, so people would scratch their face until they got down, they just scratched the, the flesh off of their face. Or, or they would reach into a fire and, and burn their hand because they can't feel the pain anymore. And so it was a horrible, disfiguring disease. It is a horrible and disfiguring disease. It still exists today. Thankfully, we have medication for it. But it was a terrible disease, and back then there was no getting over it unless God healed you from it. And, G and David says, my sin is like that. It's a terrible disease that I can't get rid of. It's a foul, foul, ugly disease. Yes, it's inside. People can't see the ugliness of it, but it's there all the same. And he says, God, I need you to purge me with hyssop. I need you to cleanse me ceremonially, spiritually. I need you to cleanse me from this sin you see, true repentance desires to be cleansed from the sin, to have the sin washed away and wiped away. He goes on there, let me hear, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that have been broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Created me a clean heart. You see, David desires not just this, this outward cleansing. He wants to be cleansed on the inside. Lord, give me a new heart, a different heart, a heart that doesn't want the sin anymore. I hate the sin. I regret the sin. And I want you to take the sin out of me and away from me. That's true repentance. 
true repentance doesn't want that sinful spirit anymore. This, this, the true repentance doesn't want that sin nature anymore. Oh man, do you want to be freed from that sin nature? Do you want to be, whatever your sin is, we all typically have a, a sin that we favor, right? You know what yours is. I know what mine, mine are. But does your soul, does your spirit long to be freed from that bondage? Is your desire that God would just take away that desire to sin, to take away that evilness within you? Do you desire a clean heart, purified soul? Do you long for the day when the Lord will return and all things will be made new and you will sin no more? Oh, true repentance desires cleansing from sin. Do you desire cleansing? True repentance appeals to God's grace, regrets the sin, and desires cleansing forth. True repentance honors God. True repentance honors God. 13 through 17. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. David says, once you cleanse me, once you forgive me, once you renew my, my soul, Lord, then I'll go out and I'm going to teach transgressors. I'm going I'm to tell them of my shortcomings. And I'm going to help them so that they don't fall into these shortcomings. I'm going to teach transgressors and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness Oh, Lord, my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Oh, true repentance confesses. True repentance teaches others. True repentance can't shut up about the grace of God. If you've truly been forgiven from your sin, then you can't be quiet. You've got to tell people about Christ. You've got to tell people about the, the, the forgiveness, the grace of God in Jesus Christ. True forgiveness, true repentance leads to gospel proclamation. Dear friend, you're living in sin. You're under the judgment of God. So was I. But let me tell you what Jesus did to me to free me. David says, I'm going to sing of your praises. I'm going to tell the nations of your grace and mercy. I'm going to teach transgressors and sinners, they'll return to you. Sinners will repent and turn to you. Through repentance leads to proclamation of the gospel. Not only that, but it also leads to true worship. Look at that. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. A forgiven person is a praising person. A forgiven person who knows the, the depths of their sin, knows that they deserve not God's grace but God's judgment, but yet who has received God's grace and mercy and forgiveness has nothing to do but praise God for His grace. Through repentance. True repentance honors God. It glorifies God. It praises God. True repentance appeals to God's grace, regrets the sin, desires cleansing, and honors God's. And here's the number five, the fifth and final characteristic of true repentance. True repentance benefits the church. True repentance benefits the church. I want you to notice those last two verses. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. 
Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. You see, David here, now David's in a, a particularly special place among God's people because he is the chosen uh, king of, of Israel. And so David's sin uh, affects the people of Israel. It has a direct effect on the people of Israel as God judges David and, and disciplines David. Well, Israel, they often get part of that, right? They're, they're affected by that. When their king and leader is being judged or, or disciplined by God because of his sin, they, they get affected. It hurts them. And so David here, in his repentance, cries out, Do good to Zion. Not just me. I'm not just worried about myself here, God. Do good to your people, Zion, in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. You see, sin has a great effect on the people of God. It's not just on you. Because even though David was in a special place, it, Scripture tells us that even in the church, when there's sin in the church... When a, a, a member of the body of the church is, is suffering because of sin, and guess what? The whole body suffers. The whole body suffers. If you're living in sin, dear Christian, dear, if you're a member of this church or a member of another church, whatever the case may be, if you are living in sin, your sin is affecting this church in a negative way. Here over the last couple of weeks, I've been reading the book of Joshua, and Joshua tells about the, the, the people coming into the promised land. And the first city that the people of, of Israel conquered was the city of Jericho. And you remember the story, God uh, told the Israelites to go march around uh, Jericho seven or six days. And then on the seventh day, they were to march around Jericho seven times, and then the trumpets would blow, and there would be a loud shout, and the walls would fall down. And that's exactly what happened. And so the people of Israel were able to rush in to Jericho, and there really wasn't a lot to do other than to just destroy what else was there. And God commanded the Israelites, don't take any spoil here. Destroy it all. Burn it all. It's all dedicated to destruction. But there was a man of the tribe of Judah by the name of Achan. As he was going through, he saw a, a garment, some silver, and a bar of gold, and he coveted that, and he took it home with him, and he buried it in, uh, in his tent. A couple of days later, they moved on to the next city, the city of Ai. And they went in to conquer the city of Ai, and they looked at the city of Ai, and oh, it's just a small little, it's a little bitty-o town. It's no big deal. And so they told Joshua, just, just send in a, a, a few thousand. We don't need much here for Ai. Don't, don't send the whole nation over here. Let's just take a, a few troops, and, and we can take care of it. And so that's what they did. But the city of Ai, the men of Ai came out and they fought and God gave them victory over Israel. And they came back to the camp and they mourned and they wept before God. And God told Joshua, he said, get up. Get up, quit acting so foolishly. There's sin in the camp. And so he did what Joshua did what the Lord told him to do, and he, he came, brought all the people of Israel through there, tribe by tribe, and, and the lot fell all the way down to the man of Achan, the sinner, who had coveted a garment from silver and a bar of gold. Instead of obeying the Lord, he took it for himself. He brought sin into the camp. And all Israel suffered because of that one man's sin. I want you to tell you today, church, your sin, your personal sin, affects this whole church. 
but your repentance also benefits this church. When David repented of his sin, when he received the forgiveness of God, then the blessings poured out upon David spread out into the whole nation. And it's the same in the church today. When you and I engage in true repentance, the blessings that God pours out upon us, they pour over into the rest of the body. True repentance, it benefits not only you, but it benefits the whole church. I remember hearing a story not too long ago of two brothers who were members of a church, and these two brothers had been at it for years. They had this family feud going on. And they'd been fighting for years and years and years, and finally, and they all belonged to the same church. I mean, it was back in a time where we didn't have 12 churches on you know, every street. And so they were both members of this same church, and it was, it was causing division within the church. And so the, the pastor and the elders of the church, they brought these two brothers in, they brought them into the church, and they locked the door, and they said, we're not leaving in here until y'all work it out. And hours upon hours upon hours passed by, and the brothers fought and argued and, and did all of things, but, but they finally came together. And they forgave one another. They quit living in sin. The sin of hating one another. And when those two men repented of their sin, God blessed the whole church and He poured out revival on that church that spread from that, that church into the whole town and then into the whole county and into a nation. Your sin negatively affects this church, but your repentance will greatly benefit her. True repentance benefits the church. True repentance is life-changing. If you experience true repentance today, you'll not be the same tomorrow. It is life-changing. It must be life-changing. If your life doesn't change from your repentance, if, if nothing changes tomorrow, that's not true repentance. True repentance is life-changing. Luke's gospel tells us the story of one who repented, Zacchaeus. We all know that story, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as his Savior passed that way, he looked up into the tree and said, Zacchaeus, you come down, I'm going to your house today. And when the Lord went to Zacchaeus' house, Zacchaeus was confronted by his sin. And Zacchaeus repented from his sin. And Luke chapter 19, verse 8 says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Now, tax collectors were known of defrauding people. That's how they made their wealth. He's confessing, I have sinned against people. I have sinned against folks. I have defrauded them. I have stole from them. And those whom I have defrauded, I restore it fourfold. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham, for the, man, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. True repentance is life-changing. It's not just saying, I'm sorry today so I can go do it again tomorrow and continue to live in sin. 
But true repentance has remorse over sin. It's truly sorry. It regrets sin and turns from that sin, desiring to leave it behind, asking God, Lord, help me to overcome it. Help me to conquer this sin. Get rid of it in my life. I want to live for you. True repentance is life-changing. There are some Christians here today that you need to engage in true repentance. You've been living in sin, and maybe you've, you've said, Lord, I'm sorry, is to continue in your sin. But today, you need to remorse, mourn over your sin before God. And turn away from that sin. Then today is today. Engage in true repentance. Others, you've never known repentance. You're living in sin because you're living away from Jesus. You're just living in natural rebellion against God. But friend, I want you to know today that the, day, that the forgiveness and life that David experienced, you can experience. Because God made a wonderful sacrifice by sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to live on this earth and to die for you. He lived in complete obedience to God. He never sinned against the Father. Yet He went to Calvary's cross and He gave His life willingly, freely, He took your judgment, your punishment, so that you might have life in Him. And God raised Him again to give you assurance of salvation. You'll only trust in Him. Today, the repentance you need is to repent from your life of sinfulness, your life of rebellion against God, and turn to Jesus. Trust in Him. He will forgive you. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we confess today that there's been times in our lives, Lord, when we've kind of gone through the motions. We've asked for forgiveness, but Lord, our hearts didn't really grieve over our sin. Oh, Lord, show us the depth of our sin today. Show us the ugliness of our sin. Break our hearts, oh, Lord. For what breaks yours? Lead us to true repentance. And, Lord, if there are any who do not know Jesus today, let them know repentance by turning away from a life of sin and turning to Christ. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.